Hi, my name is Malia. I am an alcoholic, and today I have 27 years of continuous sobriety. Uh, I got sober. <laughs> well done. Thanks, y'all. Um, thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's so good to see y'all's faces or empty couches, receipts, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Okay, so my sort of theme for today, I, I'm going to talk as long as I want about whatever I want and um, aim not to go too far over. I'm, I'm mindful that people carve out an hour and some people like to stay for the meeting after the meeting, which is uh, uh, one of the things I'd love, especially about um, my home group, Tasnua, uh, when I first came to uh, this meeting, I think it was Frank and it was very late at night. I, my sleep had been off and um, I, I went to another meeting and I started to ask, it was, I started to ask Mark about like our business meetings and this and that. Cause like I kind of grew up with traditional AA and he's like, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> um, but if you say you're Tasnua, you're Tasnua. So I'm Tasnua, which is, you know, new start, new beginnings. I'm definitely that woman, which is the topic for me today because i didn't know um for a long time i thought like i, I don't even want to be that woman like i had this idea in my head of the woman who got up you know the ass crack of dawn and uh you know did did some yoga or went for a run and uh, you know, got the kids off to school, or um, then went off to a, a job or some livelihood or career, and um, and then you know made dinner and then worked on my novel until two o'clock in the morning. And that's just so such a fucking unrealistic idea of. Uh, and I'm I I know that there's women that do that. I just don't I didn't want to be exactly that woman so I was resistant about it and I kept saying like God I don't I don't even want to be that woman I don't even want to be that woman I don't even want to be that woman um and then it started started to evolve like who is that woman and why don't I want to be that woman and I don't think I gave it a lot of bandwidth you know I didn't think about it all the time but it, it just was a recurring theme that kept coming up in my during the time you know, when I put down the drink and the drugs. Um, and it's, it's evolved along with my recovery, my cosmology, you know, my, my belief system around what I believe or how I believe the universe works. And, um, you know, if, if that's what I believe, then that's what I believe that will be true for me. So a lot of times when I hear people say, well, I believe, X, Y, and Z. And I will often say, I believe that you believe that. And that's all there, all there, that's all there is to say about it. Cause like, there's a lot we don't know and I'm okay with that today. So, um, I, uh, my dad used to say he, he's alcoholic and, um, had a lot of things going on. Um, and he used to say, you, you kids weren't raised, you were jerked up. And if my own dad could say that, <laughs> I, I definitely could could see that about my childhood. I had an older, I have an older brother and um, he hasn't gotten the memo. You know, he, well, actually he has gotten the memo. He just hasn't um, 
you know, you can lead, lead the horse to water, but you cannot make the horse drink. And um, boy, does that resonate deeply today. Um, and he's been to inpatient treatment twice and he's, you know, he, he knows there's an easier, softer way. And I just get to set really good boundaries. Um, for a long time, he would know how to like punch my buttons and to get me to give him, loan him money. It's like I, it was money I never, never saw again. Like, oh, Malia, I can't feed the dogs or the animals. Well, that's a soft spot for me. So of course, like Western Union, I would, you know, wire him money. Um, or my niece, when she was a little girl, oh, Chelsea's sick and, you know, I got to take her to urgent care. Well, for heaven's sakes, you could, let's get her to urgent care. I'll wire you some more money. And I had, at the end of it all, four Western Union, which is our how we wire money around here, if we want to pay a lot to wire the fucking money to have it instantly, because he didn't have a bank account and uh, I'd been arrested and served time and house arrest and this, that, and the other. So I can't vote, blah, 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 drama, drama, drama. Um, so I would, I had four gold cards from Western Union and through that throughout the years. And, um, you know, I, I'm a few years younger than him, but I always felt like the older sibling. Uh, our parents divorced when I was six and my mom remarried pretty swiftly. And my dad did, he cycled through a lot of them. And then he married my mom, who is a beautiful soul. And um, she, you know, they divorced and she's remarried. And um, I have a really good relationship with my um, ex-stepmom. Um, I, I know having my own adult stepdaughters that they're always, kids will, children will always be children. And that's, that's by design. Like that's how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, I've not had any of my own children. Uh, the only thing I can remotely equated to is having, you know, the, my animals, because I feel about my animals the way that, you know, like fur babies or whatever. Um, so growing up with a, a veterinarian dad and uncle, and, you know, he would bring home the puppies and there's this family. I mean, I remember vivid memories. I must've been three. And my dad brought home a dog, a German shepherd dog with parvovirus. And I just sat in this um, cardboard box and I just, with this blanket, soft, 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 soft blankie and in the kitchen. And I just loved on that puppy, blue eyes. And the family lore was that I had cured blue eyes. And that made me feel really good. Like I, just my presence and love with this puppy who was very sick would have likely died um, without some type of intervention. Um, you know, I'm not going to claim I cured the puppy, but at, at that young age, I sure felt good about myself. And uh, there wasn't a lot of times where I felt good about myself. Um, when, with my family of origin, you know, I saw my parents drinking. A lot of things were um, circulated around uh, the bar and um, company and entertaining and like terribly inappropriate sexual humor, um, which I can laugh about now because, you know, time has passed, the earth has cooled. And, you know, I have that kind of gallows sense of humor where it's like, yeah, that's, that's really fucked up. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, my dad would 
play Richard Pryor eight track tapes in the back of the, and I'd sit in the back of the Pontiac Firebird, with the racing engine in it and um, listen to Richard Pryor and, um, you know, at like eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, my dad also was like really into like personal development and Brian Tracy and, you know, I'm sure Tony Robbins um, or maybe not, I don't know, timeline. My dad died when I was uh, 20, 20, 24, he was 52, which is exactly how old I am now until next month, I'll turn 53 and technically outlive, technically, I'll, I'll, I will have outlived both my parents. My mom died when I was 14 and she had just turned 39. You know, I attributed both, both of their deaths to alcoholism and my half sister, I didn't even know I had a fucking half sister until I was 18, I overheard a conversation between my brother and my dad. And they were like, oh yeah, they Janet this and Janet that. And I was like, these are on the what now? I have a sister? They're like, yeah, I thought you knew. And I was like, yeah, no, mm -mm. I, I was not clued into this. So my dad knocked somebody up and didn't marry her and had a child and I met her once and then our dad died. And I had to call her and say, our dad died. You, you, can you come to Southern California to the service? So I've only met her twice. She lives in Bend, Oregon, has um, uh, cirrhosis, hep C, uh, you know, was homeless and just off the rails doing, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. And, um, you know, my stepbrother and stepsister on my dad's side, so my stepmom's kids, same thing with my sister. She died of liver cancer. Uh, she lived in Park City. I did a lot of partying up in Park City, um, Utah, Park City, USA, um, because I felt better when I was around like people that uh, would give continually give me more supply. So um, I was just talking with uh, the one woman I I only sponsor one woman at a time because I the way that I do it is just it takes a lot of energy. Um, and I was telling you yesterday. Um, Oh, uh, let's see. It's telling her about um, the attention span of a goldfish on crack. <laughs> about uh, just the wild times in Park City and protecting my supply. I always had, um, you know, when I lived in Park City, my stepsister uh, lived there with her uh, ex-husband um, who eventually died of alcoholism. Um, and, and drugs. Um, and I, I was protecting my supply, which is what us alcoholics do. Um, and I was also disclosing that I, you know, prostituted my body. I would date men that would have uh, cocaine and, uh, you know, free flowing alcohol, uh, whatever the fuck I wanted. Um, and same with like my dad and the house that we lived in when I was going to high school. It's like no rules, no boundaries, no limitations. It was don't lie, cheat, steal, or speed down Victoria. And Victoria was, this is a very long street in Riverside, California, and it has a lot of um, palm trees on it. So, you know, if you're, if you run into the palm tree, boom, you're probably going to die like a lot of my friends did. So those were kind of the loosey goosey joking type of rules that we had living in this really big home that my dad built with his practice partner. 
to sell and the housing market crashed and we moved into it. And, um, you know, it was just, I needed rules. I needed boundaries. I needed limitations. I needed consequences. I, I needed things like, um, you know, responsibility, not like, oh, here's a couple hundred bucks to go do the grocery shopping for, for the week. And I was like, oh yeah, grocery shopping. And then I'd buy makeup and blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it just wasn't a good environment for a young girl who was really feeling like I was, I had already been, uh, uh, you know, had survived a lot of abuse and um, a lot of different types of trauma, all, all kinds of trauma from physical trauma, violence, you know, motorcycle accident, broke C5, my right hip, skiing accident, Park City when I was high, it was New Year's Eve day. Of course, I got an x-rayed and they said, oh yeah, it's probably a tear and we'll just give you a soft cast and some crutches. And I went out in my flannel matching pajamas and, you know, whooped it up that night and was in a blackout with a terribly injured knee, which uh, I went back home to Los Angeles and went to the um, sports doctor. And they said, how long is it? Have you been walking around like this? I said, oh, it's been about 10 days. They're like, yeah, you completely fucked up your left knee, two-inch fracture, blah, blah, blah. You need a bone graft. Uh, I had already broken the right hip, so they took it from the left hip. And like, it was just one thing after the other. And I remember getting um, oral surgery, a skin graft when I was like 10 years old. And so, and then I remember like hearing about me having scarlet fever when I was about two years old. And my mother was chronically ill and my stepdad would say, Shh, you know, your mom's sleeping and be quiet. And because she just, she had chronic pain, she had severe uh, asthma, allergies, you name it, she had it. And, um, you know, she'd wake me up in the middle of the night to walk on her back because her back hurt so much or like to, you know, get the, you know, phlegm out of her lungs so she could fucking breathe. Um, and then meanwhile, like, my brother was the squeaky wheel that got all the oil and um you know he was overindulged and my dad created a monster and now i see very clearly like what that does to a child who is overindulged financially every which way um and it, you know my brother is still like kind of i mean he's fucking responsible for himself but it, it breaks my heart to see that my niece, his daughter, and who just had a baby. So his, he has a grandchild now and, you know, he may not live much longer. He may live a long time, but I don't have any power and control over that. I do have power and control over like where I put my thoughts, where I put my physical body, what, uh, you know, where I show up, how I show up and like, who do I get to be? So, um, I, abuse survivor and abuse is anything less than nurturing per Pia Melody. And I happen to, you know, subscribe to a lot of what she has taught me over the years. Uh, she's the founder of uh, the Meadows Treatment Center in Wickenburg, Arizona, which is near where I was sent to boarding school at Fenster School of Southern Arizona for the summer. It was seven hot as fuck weeks um, where all the other fuck up kids went that were, you know, scoring cocaine and drinking. And I got busted with a uh, marijuana pipe. I didn't have any marijuana to smoke with it. I was going to uh, dry out banana leaves because I heard tell that that would, that would get me high. 
So I remember doing bong hits, hiking up Sabino Canyon and carrying the cooler with St. Pauli girls beer and just getting drunk. And I would boot and rally all the freaking time. I'd vomit and then more. And then last call, vomit. And then, yeah, I'll take two shots of kicking chicken, wild turkey, whatever. I, I, it really didn't make any difference to me what it was that I was drinking or using or waking and baking or any of that stuff. I just, I was so confused as to why I felt the way that I did all the fucking time. Like, there was just no reprieve from it all. I didn't know that, like, I didn't know about ADHD. I didn't know about uh, autism or the Asperger's profile of autism. I didn't know that I uh, experienced alexithemia, which is emotional blindness. Uh, I didn't know about time blindness. Um, I didn't know that I ex experienced all of this neurodiversity. And I, I include alcoholism as neurodiversity. And anytime I mention it at a meeting, boy, I can bet your bottom dollar that I hear either from the DMs or after the fact, like, oh, that's me too. That's me too. That's me too. And so a large part of what I endeavor to do with even sharing or, you know, in my livelihood is give other people an opportunity to like, not have to go through the shit that I went through. Because I just don't believe that that's, that has to be the case. And my story is different from everybody else's story. And everyone else's story is different than everybody else's story. But I look for the similarities and boy did I find them and I'll, I'll tell you it took about 15 years till I actually heard my story I went to a, a, a AA conference with one of my sponsors um, and it was the keynote speaker on Saturday night and then the Sunday speaker and I was like between the two of them whoa that was a lot of what I was like um, you know, I would drink and um, black out and, you know, I was just a sloppy, slutty drunk. Um, and I would use and I'd stay up all night. Uh, there, I did, uh, well, ecstasy, they called it back in the day, MDMA, whatever, mushrooms, uh, acid, uh, smoking crack. I mean, I fucking did it all. Um, and then I got arrested for DUI. And then I got assessed by the state by another alcoholic, invited me over to her apartment. And for about 10 to 12 hours, I chain smoked and she 12 stepped me. And I admitted to like browning out. And now I know that's fucking blackout. So uh, after that, I definitely got sober, um, quit drinking. And I remember very vividly being across the street from the courthouse with my attorney, Michael Danko. I know the dress I was wearing, the shoes I was wearing, the weather that day. It, it's like I can go right back there in my mind. Um, and, you know, I'm, he's like, you've been assessed as alcoholic. You can do this deferred prosecution. You won't have it on any record for 10 years as long as you go to treatment for two months and two AA meetings a week for two years. And that just seemed like a very long time. That might as well have been forever for me. And Turns out it was where it has been. So I, I said, all right, fuck it. I'll, I'll do this deferred prosecution thing. And we went in there, told the judge and like, I never looked back. So for me, uh, the, the obsession was lifted. Uh, it was letting go of the other stuff. Like I had a prototype <laughs> that I, I, I don't know, not everybody's can, will have heard of one of those things, but I thought it was super cool. 
and uh, they still sell them. They're just nifty, whatever. And I didn't have any marijuana on me, but I just was like, oh, I wanted to repurpose this or give it like a targeted give. Like, oh, if you're still going to be smoking pot, friends, then knock yourself out. Here it is. So I shared that with my one of my treatment providers, at the treatment center I went to, and they wanted to admit me inpatient uh, for at least a month. And I had two Rottweiler puppies and I lived alone. They were nine months old. And I just, I didn't have any support system here. Um, and I had said good riddance to my uh, protecting my supply uh, roommate who was a bartender. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I didn't have any, um, I didn't have friends here. I didn't have a lot of, um, I don't have any fucking friends. Um, oh, that's not true. I had one friend and um, who was okay with like hanging with me without the drink, but I just really felt isolated and alone. Um, so I went to treatment uh, and, and I, I was a success. Two years later, I remember going back into the uh, courtroom and I asked my attorney if I could, if he would ask the judge if I could approach the bench or at least say something and uh they said yes the judge did and i i spoke up and i said thank you so much this has saved my fucking life i don't think i dropped the f-bomb in court but maybe i did i don't know um it really did save my life i sat in on a um, mothers against drunk drivers panel and i thought wow that could have been me i could have slid into a family of five and like had to live with that and i don't know that i would have been able to live with that um also like with the with the neurodiversity or the autism there's uh, a large amount of uh, uh executive functioning issues that i have processing things um, and a lot of naivete so i look back now and i'm like oh okay I was naive. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and so I, I felt guilty and responsible for like the abuse and the trauma and all this stuff. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into like all the severe amounts of trauma. Um, just suffice it to say that it, it's been a lot. Um, and I felt like I had a target on my back. I'm like, why is this always happening? Why, why am I, is, what have I done? Or what, do I legit have a target on my back that people are, I, I felt taken, I was taken advantage of. I was traumatized. I was stalked twice, once by a felony rapist, which scared the bejeebers out of me. Um, and it was just like on and on, well into my recovery and beyond. Um, like more is always revealed and that is a blessing because if if my life and my cosmology my recovery didn't shift and evolve and change and grow and as more information comes to the forefront what in terms of science or anything else i'd be super bored and i i want to have it i want to mix it up i want to have this be you know an interesting experience for me so when i um 
was going to a lot of traditional AA meetings, there was a lot of the God talk. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I'll just, I'll just suck it up. I just sucked it up. I'm like, this is bollocks. And, um, you know, I just, I, I wasn't buying it, but I thought if this is what I have to do, this is, I, I'm willing to go to any length. And so I went to the meetings. I, I wasn't hitting up the hard and heavy, like big book thumping meetings, but my sponsor at the time for the first six years went to a lot of those types of meetings. And so I would join and I would join for H&I, hospitals and institutions. Uh, we would go to the Echo Glen and for the, the adolescents, we would go to, um, and then without her, I would go to the jail, the women's jail downtown and um, share my experience, strength and hope. And then come to find out, you know, about six years into it, that um, it wasn't a healthy sponsor sponsee relationship. And again, something had happened and I felt like hmm, I was the last to know about that. So I, that kind of dissolved and I, I've got three sponsors now, two that I we sort of co-sponsor one another, and then uh, you know I've, I've, I've definitely worked the steps multiple times. And traditional AA was a wonderful like trampoline or springboard for me to have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Even though I have some chronic illness, even though I've got you know some things on board, even with the you know ADHD or the you know, autism or lexithemia or synesthesia, time blindness, emotional blindness, like legit life is fucking exhausting. Navigating personal relationships, it's, it's challenging for me, not going to lie. And I'm not like trying to be a martyr to that. I would say, Malia, get off the cross. We need the fucking wood because I, I don't have time for that shit. I don't have time to complain. I don't have time to, um, I just don't want to spend time and energy doing that stuff. So, so I don't. Um, one thing that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough in meetings, uh, especially traditional A meetings, I haven't heard much talk about it in secular, although I'm very new to secular, not secular in February, not February 19, but February, February, like this fucking year, February, um, is the 13th step. And, you know, I was talking with my sponsee yesterday on Zoom about, about that very thing and how prevalent it is. And a lot of us are, you know, some of the sickest of us are in these rooms or church basements or fellowship halls or on, in, on the Zoomiverse. Uh, and, and that's okay. Like, I'm sick too. <laughs> All is well. I know nothing. And I'm a work in progress. And I, I just don't want to have blinders on anymore. I want to get in where I fit in and be mindful about like who I'm spending my time and my energy with because proximity is power for better or not so much better. And a rising tide lifts all the houseboats. So I want to stick with the winners. And that's why I keep coming back to, to Tasnua because I feel like I fit in here. This, uh, you know, we're all just a bunch of buzzes on the bus and this clown has found our circus. Um, <laughs> One thing I'll confess to, um, when I first got sober and I was living alone with my Rottweilers chain smoking, I would watch, um, this is in, uh, I got sober 7894. So um, this was maybe, I like nine months into that, I was chain smoking and staying up all night because I've had insomnia 
really bad insomnia since I was um, bit by a tick for the second time when I was uh, 15 or yeah, 14 years old. Um, so I was watching CNN news. It was on one network, CNN news, and it was a whole day's news, headline news, a whole day's news every half hour. So I just stay up all night and my, like the, my mental game was like, I'm going to figure out what the new news thing is that they're putting in each half hour. And it's like, oh, there's a new thing. Chain smoking, chain smoking. Oh, there's a new thing. And like, that's just what I was doing because I didn't know what else to do besides like essentially kind of white knuckling it and waiting till I could go to, a, to a, another meeting. And um, then there was this infomercial for Jose Iber's secret hair. Essentially it was a weave and I bought it. I paid $125 for this thing. It got shipped to my door. I was mortified when it arrived. I'm like, did I seriously fucking buy this thing? I tucked it away. I hit it. I never used it, never even opened it. And I ended up giving it away to somebody. But like, that's, that's, that's where I was in early sobriety. I was not that woman. I would stay up late. I'd sleep until two o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't know how to operate my life. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do things. I did get boundaries with my brother and finally say, I love you. And I'm never going to give you money ever again. You know, I said his first name, Brett, I love you. And I'm never going to give you money again. I love you. And I'm not giving you money again. I'm not loaning you money again. I just said it one, in one conversation repeatedly. Guess who never got asked to borrow money again? Um, so um, one of the first things I got when I came into the program was hope. I, I felt like, oh, there's hope for me. I'm not fundamentally flawed and therefore unlovable. There, there's, there's hope for me. I can, you know, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train coming right at me. I actually have some tools and I have people that, you know, can love me so much until I can love myself or love my, love me in ways where I was hating on myself because I had a very harsh inner critic, still have a harsh inner critic. It's just kind of quieted down to a dull roar. Um, and, and I remember a big snowy Christmas. We had lots of snow on the ground, which is kind of rare for Seattle. And there was um, maybe about five or six of us and we all camped out at my place. And I had a pathfinder at the time and we would go out on these excursions to get everybody's mail in the group. And I think they stayed at my house for like five nights and five days. And I had never had that before. I always had like maybe one friend at a time and um, you know, just very selective with my uh, friends and, um, I, I didn't have a big circle of people. I was easily overwhelmed by the purple and the people and like just a lot of overstimulation stuff. So I slowly, but surely have become that woman. And it's just a different woman that I thought it was. And I liken recovery, uh, and, you know, using, you know, being a practicing alcoholic and drug addict to not using and being in a solution and, you know, working a program to, you know, like asking Sir Edmund Hillary, who, you know, ascended Mount Everest with uh, his Sherpa Tenzing, Tenzing Norgay, 
like asking Sir Edmund Hillary when he came down from Mount Everest, like, say, mate, what's the view like from up there? I, I, he told people what it was like. I've seen IMAX footage of what it looks like from up there, but unless I actually climb Mount Everest myself and look at the view from up there, I'm not going to know exactly what it's like. And I do know that our human minds can measure what we're going to lose at like time, money, energy, what, whatever the things are, but our brains cannot weigh or measure what we're going to gain. So that's where I was being called to have faith in the unseen faith that, yeah, I always land on my feet. Yep. I'm, I'm resourceful. Uh, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I can, I can do this. I can get through this. I, I got it. And like the Sherpa thing that stuck with me. Um, I even wrote a poem about it. Um, so I don't have to know what the other side looks like. I know what it feels like. And I know there's been, you know, a lot of people who have walked in my shoes uh, in advance of me and I'm big on fellowship and I, the steps and um, sponsorship. Um, I don't believe the steps have to be done in any particular order. Um, my, yeah, I, I've always been fascinated with uh, different religions and, you know, I, I was a, in a cult for nine months, the longest fucking nine months of my life. Um, and it was, it was hateful. It was awful. Um, but I, I don't ever have to go back to that again. And, you know, there, there's a line in the big book and I can't even believe I'm going to fucking half, half acidly quote this. It's, it's something along these lines, like cling to the thought that it says in God's hands. So fuck that. I'm just going to delete that part. Uh, and cling to the thought that, uh, our dark past, my dark past is the greatest possession I have for with it, I can avert death and misery for others, which is a big thing. It's not like a bad day or a stubbed toe or a broken arm. It's death and misery um, and shine a light on it. I forget the how, how the whole quote goes, but um, you know, when I was feeling dark days, it was like, yeah, okay. Someday when time passes, this is, I'm going to be able to look back on this and repurpose it and share this with another woman or another person in the program or outside the program um, to help to do what I can to act as a mental equivalent or a walking 12 step or, you know, actively sponsor someone or just shine a light on the easier, softer way. And to me, that's getting in where I fit in and it's being a part of the solution and not and keeping my side of the street clean. And, you know, if I'm, if I do to make amends, I, 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 when I, when I am first alerted to it, I will be the first one to step up and say, Hey, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I wasn't, I clearly was not thinking when I said that or did that, um, what can I do to make it right? And that's how I do amends. And I've noticed that I make less and less amends or I have the, I don't have as many instances where amends are due, which is a sign of my progress. Um, and that's the evolution of my cosmology. You know, I, my livelihood is such that I, I work with a lot of folks that are, you know, spiritual, not religious, or they're religious. And, you know, I'm not going to crap on somebody's cosmology as long as they're not hurting anybody, including themselves. Um, I speak various dialects of Christianity, Judaism, uh, Hinduism, uh, 
and 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 the list goes on. Um, I'm I'm an ardent uh, studier of those types of things that just uh, like I don't understand how how even I do the work that I do. I don't have to understand. I just get to do it. Same thing with recovery. I don't have to understand the fucking nuts and bolts. I don't have to memorize the big book or do really anything other than show up for myself, speak up, especially when I don't feel like talking. Um, and, you know, bless my mom. And I, I do use a lot of colloquialisms like bless your heart and kick your butt or bless your cotton socks. Those things that I say that have like religious or uh, spiritual connotations, they don't bother me today. I say them and they just don't, they don't set me off. Um, and that's a sign to me of my progress. Um, my mom gave me the gift of like meditation, mysticism, mythology, Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, chakras, astral travel, all that stuff. And her college course notebook I, I got from her. I don't remember the conversation of her getting them to me, but I was 10 years old begging for that stuff. And she got it to me. My dad gave me self-help quotes, you know, Brian Tracy cassette tapes, you know, all the peak potential stuff. And he said, Malia, read something every day whether it's a book or the newspaper, read something every day. And I have dyslexia and dyscalculia, and I learned early on, if I read or I watch film and television, I can learn how to respond to situations and mimic what other people are doing and mask. I did a lot of masking, like pretending that I was fitting in because I didn't want to stick out and get bullied or teased more for being so different for for the autism or ADHD or just any, any neurodiversity. So um, that's fucking enough for me, I would say. And um, yeah, that's all I have. Thanks for letting me participate in my own recovery. And um, we'll, we'll go ahead and use the raise hand function and I'm going to stop this recording right quick.